drop. Welcome to This Could Be Gay, a podcast where we explore all the gay possibilities of pop culture. I'm your host, Anya. My pronouns are she, her, and this week I've got two guests, which is something I've only done once before. Um, I've got Mila, and I've got Wally, returning guest. We've got a new one and a returner. That's me. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the new one. (laughs) And I am... The multi-returner. I've been on here a couple of times now. Yeah. <laughs> my name is Wally. My pronouns are she, they. And I identify as panromantic and on the ace spectrum. And I'm Mila. Uh, my pronouns are she, her. And I identify as asexual biromantic. I didn't know that. About yeah. the romantic. I didn't know that. Yeah. Cool. I love to learn new things about my friends. <laughs> <laughs> it's because I've never dated. <laughs> There's no proof, but it's there. <laughs> that is like the, the true ace experience. <laughs> All right, so I think that a good place to start would just be talking about asexuality in general. I feel like it's something that's lesser known, even within the community, yes. and um, it also means different things to different people. So I'd like to hear y'all's takes. Uh, yeah, for sure. It's um, definitely been like a, a journey of like understanding that it was an option. You know, like I never really felt like any of the labels really fit me. I like identified as like just queer or questioning for a really long time. You know, I always thought that the A stood for ally. I didn't realize, <laughs> you know. Um, and a very common mistress. Yes, very, very common. Um, I erased myself. Um, <laughs> and uh, so it's it's definitely been in really the last couple of years where I was like, okay, this feels a little bit more like me. And it's um, what's really been interesting for me is finding all of the nuance within asexuality. Because if you think about... The opposite, what we call allosexuality, that's where we would put heterosexuals, homosexuals, bisexuals, pansexuals, all of those things that we normally think of as the spectrum of sexuality, but not realizing there's this whole other spectrum within asexuality. So that's why we say ace spectrum, um, is that there is a lot of stuff that we're still kind of defining within the community itself within that umbrella. So that's been my journey of like kind of figuring it out where within that spectrum I really fit. Um, But it feels a much more comfortable place, even though I haven't found an exact, you know, label for me, it still feels much closer to, um, to who I am. A lot of times people are more familiar with like demisexuality, um, which is kind of on the the borderlands, the Venn diagram of asexuality and allosexuality. Um, so if you've heard that term, that's kind of in the in the realm that we're talking about. But yes, Mila, how about you? Um, so just like the quick definition of asexuality is just not experiencing sexual attraction 
which is like the baseline, anyone who feels within that realm um, can fall into the ACE spectrum. Um, and where it gets confusing is that like most people think that just if you're asexual, you're automatically like sex repulsed and like will never ever do that, never would, never could or whatever. But mm-hmm. plenty of asexuals do will like have sex for their partners, enjoy the activity of sex, but just never feel the need, like the attraction to like just see someone on the street and go, oh, man, I want to bang them, you know. <laughs> um, but like with a deep connection, they're happy to do that for their partner or, you know, scratch the itch because it's, it's not a, you know, it's with, it's about the attraction and not the need. Like some aces, aces may still have a libido, Mm -hmm. some don't. And so that's why a lot of people find it hard to define. Yeah. They, they think of it as sexless Mm -hmm. as opposed to it about being like sexual desire involving another person. Um, yeah, some aces are, um, sex repulsed. Some are not some masturbate, some do not. Mm -hmm. Um, it is like we said, it's a whole spectrum. And I've identified as ace for probably, how old am I now? Lord. (laughs) (laughs) like 10 to 12 years I first learned the term watching like 60 minutes or something and it was the first time hearing something and going whoa that sounds right because like as a you know teenager I never experienced all the like giddy you know crushes and stuff that um, all of other teenagers around me were experiencing and I'm just like, are they out of their minds? Like, are they exaggerating? Like, and it was just that, like, I wasn't experiencing this, like, I don't know, burst of sexual hormones that all my peers were. <laughs> and like, you know, I'd make up crushes just to like try to fit in and talk with people. And then learning this term, I was just like, Wow that's it. That's the one. <laughs> I'm really sad. Yeah. I 60 minutes that night. <laughs> yeah. I, 2020, 60 whatever, minutes. Whatever. Because there's like a shocking lack of representation. Oh, yeah. I think as we've seen more and more representation in media in general, this is one area that has really, really not um, mm. been represented to this day. I've started seeing it a little bit more in mm-hmm. books, but when you talk about TV, movies, etc. It's like you can count it on, on one hand and yeah. not all that representation is great. So um, that's why I'm yeah. so excited we're doing this podcast. Yeah. Yes, our, our very own Ace episode. Yes. yes. All right. Well, let's just dive into it. Okay. So I'm actually going to talk about a video game, which I think is a really powerful way that we tell stories now and interact with stories like especially because a lot with these like triple a games you're spending sometimes hundreds of hours inside the world and the story of a given game so if you compare that to like 10 30 minute episodes of a tv show like you're spending and interacting with this story for you know a lot longer um, and in some ways more intimately. So I think that representation in video games can be really important, you know, outside of just TV and movies. Absolutely. So I want to talk about um, Horizon Zero Dawn and its sequel, Horizon Forbidden West. So it is a game by Guerrilla. 
and Sony. Um, and it's like an action role-playing game. It's set in a far future Earth um, that is overrun with these machines and the shapes of animals. Uh, and you play Aloy, a huntress, who is outcast from her society. It's a matrilineal society. And she was born without a mother, which you don't quite understand at the beginning. It's because she is actually a clone um, that kind of just showed up um, at the foot of their sacred mountain, um, which turns out to be like the core of this AI left behind um, by people who knew that their world was ending. So they created this artificial intelligence to essentially reboot the world. Uh, and th things went wrong. And so instead of them being taught about the history of the world, they kind of like made it up from scratch. But this AI is also the one producing all of these machines that you hunt for parts and have created this whole new culture, like several different cultures, several different tribes in what is like the Western United States. Um, and so she be, she's an outcast because she doesn't have a mother. And so she's raised outside of this society. And that really shapes a lot of who she is. But because this AI cloned her because she's a clone of the original creator so that she can use facial recognition to actually access the AI. So the AI creates her kind of as like a tool to save some things that are going wrong in the world and the biosphere that are going to, she ends up having to save the world. Classic, you know, <laughs> hero, chosen world, yada, yada, yada. Oh yeah. So what's really interesting about this character is this world has really rejected her and treated her very unfairly for her whole life. And now she's in this really unique position where she has the keys to the kingdom and it's she's the only one that can save this world that's really um kind of abused her and she does it and becomes kind of this hero and the whole first game is really about her kind of finding herself and coming into her own and now all of these people want her to be a part of their world they want her to be a part of their community they um you know laud her as a hero and like she gets and like proposals and like people are like start flir flirting with her and she's just like, I'm busy. I have <laughs> things to do. She's like, nobody really understands the stakes um, because they have a very like limited understanding of what's really going on because they have like ritualized and mythologized a lot of technology where she has access to the actual like specs like the wizard behind the curtain kind of thing and so she doesn't have the same kind of like emotional and religious um attachments to some of these things that they do and so she like becomes this almost like you know wholly sought after you know person and these people want to connect with her these people want to form relationships with her and she's just like this is not my priority like this is not a high priority for me um and at first I was like a little like disappointed because I usually like um, video games that give you options of like who to form relationships with. But then I was kind of like, actually, this is really great. Because when you think about a video game and you're on a time crunch, you're trying to like 
save the world, but like, let me stop and have a date with this person. Like, it doesn't really make sense to me, especially as somebody who's like not motivated by like sexual attraction. And I was just like, I kind of love how goal oriented she is. And people keep trying to like hand her crowns and be like, come and be my queen. And she's like, hard pass. I've got a meeting, you know? And I'm like, I love this. This is so cool. And what I wanted them to do is like take that one step further, especially in the second game where it becomes clear. The first game to me was a lot about her finding herself. And the second game was a lot about her finding her community. She ends up having to depend on other people and build bonds of friendships and like really becomes this kind of like peacekeeper and like bridge builder kind of this outsider being able to connect these like warring factions Mm -hmm. and um i thought that that was really like wonderful game design and really great writing and it allowed her to build these really strong beautiful relationships so she wasn't just an outsider that didn't know how to be you know in a community so it's proven that she can and she still has chosen to like not be in a romantic relationship. And I really, really, really wanted them to make her canonically ace. Mm -hmm. And um, it got really, really far into the second game when it becomes clear that her former self, the original um, version of Aloy, Elizabeth Sobek, she was in a lesbian relationship um, when she was alive. And... Um, so I was like, okay, cool. Like in general, the game is pretty good representation wise. They even have a trans character that they represent in a way that makes sense for the vocabulary of people who don't have that word, um, which I thought was very cool. Um, but I was, it came like right at the end of the game when like that was codified and I was like, yes, it's gay, but like could be it could be ace because also she's lived a very different life um clones are not necessarily identical and so like she could she could still be ace like it could (laughs) still happen um but um they because she's so like busy and like when the showrunner was um asked about or not the showrunner the video game producer writer was asked like is there going to be any romance you know is that ever going to be a thing like he pretty much said like she's busy she's got shit to do like that's not her priority and I love that but it also feels a little bit like a cop-out when it could just be like she's just not interested Mm -hmm. you know especially in the second game where she had time to build community she had the option to like build connections and she chose not to build romantic connections when she had the opportunity, she had multiple opportunities and she consistently was just like, no, thank you. So I want it to be not just like an effect of the game and, but a choice Mm -hmm. for this character and like loudly and proudly for a game that is really great about representation in a lot of ways. There's some, like, squeaky cultural appropriation with (laughs) um, some of the phrasing, like, that 
were I an indigenous person, I would speak to more specifically. But um, in general, the game was pretty, pretty even handed with representation. And I just really wanted them to push that extra mile so I could like really own this character, like really, really own it as like one of my people. (laughs) And yeah, just ah, so close, so close. I also like love the idea that like in a doomsday situation that the the like fate of the world rests on ace people because we're not like distracted. Occupi- we're yeah. not distract- distracted yes. by sexual needs. Yes. Right. <laughs> That's yeah. hilarious and true. Yes. yes. <laughs> I am focused. <laughs> this is I'm convinced this is part of why I did so well in high school. <laughs> oh my gosh. And I mean just the the new media to, to have like ace people represented in video games even you know because yeah. there's a lot of different romantic options across the board in video games and so just to have the ace character would be so important and cool yeah it really would definitely my turn your yep. turn okay um so i'm doing um a show called our flag means death it's already very gay. And we love it. We love it. So good. <laughs> so, so good. good. So it has good. so much awesome representation. And I think it could definitely be Ace. Because, like, without any stretch of the imagination, uh, Steed and Ed's relationship is very Ace, in my opinion. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. If you start with... So, Our Flag Means Death is about... Real people from, like, what, the 17th century or something, Blackbeard and Steed Bonnet. Um, But obviously it's completely fictional in this. (laughs) Like, it's been written fictional because there's no real, like, historical documents about these people. It's fan fiction about Blackbeard and Steed Bonnet. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Taika Waititi. Yes. (laughs) Um, And so... Steed Bonnet is like this very rich, privileged guy who gets put into an arranged marriage for um, two affluent people, and all he wants is to be a pirate captain. And so he creates a boat, leaves his family, and go and like creates a crew. And it's so cute how he interacts with this crew because it's like his little family. And I know for me as an ace person, like. My family are my, like, you know, I obviously have my real family, but, like, my chosen family is so important to me, and he just loves his crew so much. Um, Yeah, I think he says something along the lines of, I'll be a successful pirate captain if I've made my crew better people, or something like that. (laughs) It's so sweet. (laughs) Yes. Um, And, like, you know, when he's in his arranged marriage, he doesn't show any interest in being in it. Um, growing up, he doesn't show interest in, like, they show, like, you know, backstory from him from when he was a kid, and, you know, he's the odd one out and doesn't show any interest in, you know, the things the other boys are doing or whatever, but at no point do they show that he's interested in men or anything, so he's just very interested in his hobby, his interest, his piracy, you know, being a pirate, (laughs) but he's not so good at it. (laughs) Um, and then you know as they're sailing the seas they come across Blackbeard and you know he's the fearsome pirate that everyone you know is afraid of and you know the most notorious pirate on the thing and when they first meet 
um, well, Blackbeard's taking care of Steed because he's been ran through with a sword. Um, or stabbed, I think. Um, and so he takes care of him. And then as the, you know, when they get to start talking after Steed's healed bit, they, you know, realize they're very interested in each other's lives. Um, and, you know, they start, you know, teaching each other, like Steed's teaching Ed how to, you know, do, um, what would you call it? High society stuff. Yeah, like mm-hmm. um, setting the table mm-hmm. and like uh, manners and, and kind of like, dress fancy. And yeah, stuff. like, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, Ed's showing that he like likes Steve's robe and it's like silky or whatever. And he's like, oh, do you like fine fabrics? And he shows him his closet and he's just like so excited to share it with Ed. It's the cutest thing ever. And then Ed, you know, is teaching him how to be a better pirate captain and everything. And, like, as they're sharing with each other, they're just getting to know each other. And, like, you see the romantic, you know, moments. But, and, like, them getting closer and everything. But at no point do I, you know, see any kind of sexual tension between them. It's always just, like, you know, obvious obvious love, you know, they respect each other, they get to know one another, and obviously, like, care about each other deeply, but at no point do I notice any sexual tension, and even though I'm ace, I do feel I'm pretty good at, you know, recognizing sexual tension in shows. Uh, me and my uh, one of my other friends like to play uh, Are They Gonna Bone? Um, <laughs> based on sexual tension when we're watching TV shows. And, like, you know, there's this scene between Ed and Steed after, like, they go to this, like, high society party, and it's, like, in the moonlight, and Ed has his little piece of silk, and Steed takes the silk and, like, puts it in his pocket and says, you wear fine fabrics well. And I'm like, that, at that point, it's, like, the fifth episode, I'm like... Their love. Like, their love. Their so, love. And I love it is like uh, showing romance mm. without the sexuality part exactly. of it. That they are deeply, deeply in love. Yeah. But like. But there's not this like stereotypical, you know, mm. I'm, I'm horny. And yeah. I want to like rip off your clothes right now. I know. <laughs> and like, honestly, like they don't even notice it between each other for a long time. And like Lucius kind of has to like spell it out to them. Yeah, everybody is like, y'all are in love. Yeah. <laughs> like, this man obviously likes you, and you like him back. Now make this work, kind of thing. And Lucius is the... Um, Which the... is also a classic ace experience. Yes. Being, like, totally unaware oh, yeah. of any of the, like, patterns going on in the world around you. <laughs> the number you. of times someone's like, that person was flirting with you, and I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. No, that doesn't sound right. And like, I don't know. Their love is so pure and everything. And I just like, I don't see any of the like sexual aspects, but it doesn't take away from their relationship at all. Like you can tell they're in love and you're rooting for them. And it's just so wonderful. Pure. And such a, such a wholesome love story too. Yeah. Like, yes. And in a way that we don't get very often, like, they, I think they kiss once, mm-hmm. and it's just this, like, it's it's like a form of affection mm-hmm. versus, like, something sexual. Yeah. yeah, it's, like, not leading to something. It was the mm-hmm. kiss, kiss for the sake of kissing. Yeah. And I think it also, 
I mean, let's face it, a lot of gay representation, especially male-male gay representation, is hyper-sexualized. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, um, like, there is a part of that in the culture, for sure. But that there needs to be other mm-hmm. other kinds of representation. Definitely. You know, like, there's definitely more room on that boat. Yeah. You know? And, like, the kiss happens during a conversation of just, like, you know, this is, you make me happy. Like, yeah, this isn't like, you know, I am so horny for you. I need to jump your bones. It's being with you makes me happy. And I'm going to show that affection right now through a kiss. But like, it's just so sweet and lovely. And I just love it so much. <laughs> me too. I love it too. So good. And take away TT on that show. Oh my God. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, just, you know, a very beautiful man. Yes. He's not unattractive. No. He's an aesthetically pleasant human. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes, for sure. All right, I guess it's me now. So my thing that I'm bringing to the table is pushing daisies. And this is something yes. that I have said for years should be ace. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my friends growing up who is ace showed it to me. And it was kind of just like this common theme. Basically, Pushing Daisies is about a pie maker. What is his name? I'm blanking. Ned. Ned. Ned the pie maker. So Ned has this ability, I would say, (laughs) (laughs) to bring people back from the dead um, with a touch. But if he touches them again, they're gone for good. So he ends up teaming up with this guy... What's his name? Emerson Codd. Emerson Codd. I'm so bad with names. I am so bad with names. Thank you, Molly. I own both seasons on DVD. Okay. I'm so bad with names. Anyway, so Emerson Codd is this, like, private detective, and he investigates crimes, right? And so, and he, you know, cashes in on the rewards and things like that. And so he and Ned start working together, and... Ned will, they'll go and visit the recently murdered person at the morgue. He'll touch them. They'll ask who did it and what happened. And then he'll touch them again and they'll go back to being dead. Um, So one day they are, you know, doing their thing. They show up at a funeral home and he goes to touch this body to ask what happened. And it turns out that it's his childhood sweetheart, Chuck, which is this girl that like he grew up across the street from and you know, had his little childhood crush on, and then she, he moved away. Somebody moved away, and... He went off to boarding school. Yeah, he went off to boarding school, so he didn't see her again until right then. And so he has this really hard choice to make. Do I, you know, keep her alive? Because he, if, if it's past... One minute. One Ten. minute. Yeah. One minute. Yeah. One minute. They have to get all this information in one minute, because um, if... They leave it past that. Somebody in the vicinity will die in their place. So he is like, oh, my God, do I, like, <laughs> kill her again? Do What do I do? And he's having this huge, like, internal conflict. And then um, I don't even remember what happens exactly. But basically she ends up living and they end up murdering <laughs> some the evil. funeral home director? Yeah, this who evil was funeral home director who was stealing from... Stealing off of corpses. Off of corpses, yeah. yeah it, the grave robbing, it was not mm-hmm. ideal. <laughs> um, but basically, he's now in this 
kind of will they won't they relationship with Chuck, um, but they can't touch. So he and he also has this relationship with his dog. His dog died, got hit by a car or something mm-hmm. when he was a kid, and so he touches the dog back to life, and so now he can't touch his own dog and pet his own dog, so he has this, like, hand thing <laughs> like on a stick. Hand. Yeah, like a prosthetic <laughs> hand on a stick that he uses to pet him and, like, loans his dog out to his neighbor all the time so that she can pet him and love on him and stuff. It's very sweet. But I think that th- that it should be Ace because there are so many similarities in the sense that, like, this whole sexual aspect to their relationship is just taken off the table because of from some really uncomfortable like suggestions about like bodysuits and saran wrap yes (laughs) yes there are some weird saran wrap things going on um some kisses through saran wrap uh i don't want to know what else honestly uh that they do with saran wrap but (laughs) (laughs) the sexual part of this relationship has been taken away And, you know, Ned is just, like, so happy to be with Chuck anyway. Like, and I think that's beautiful. Mm -hmm. And I he also, like, very frequently has, like, some resistance to being touched. Like, he's very, like, folded in on himself. I mean, like, his touch is, like, necromancy. So, I mean, like, I get, (laughs) like, dude's got issues. But, um... (laughs) But, yeah, he's, like, a very, like, loving person, but is very touch-averse. And, yeah, I think that that's, it's not something that I ever, like, put put together while watching it, because I love that show. Mm -hmm. But um, I can see it. I I totally totally see see it. it. And um, what's his name? Lee Pace. Mm -hmm. Lee Pace. Um, Yeah, he's done some excellent queer representation in the past, and I feel like he could pull it off. Yeah, absolutely. And that show did not get the ending that it should have gotten. They kind of shoved it all into one episode because they found out that they'd been canceled. And it's it just was like during really the hasty... writer's strike. Yeah, yeah, it was during the yeah. writer's strike. It's a very hasty end to the series. And I feel like they should come back, do a reunion, and make it canonical. Mm-hmm. I do. I agree. <laughs> I think yes. I like, rewatched it like 10 years after it came out. And I was like, I'm still mad that this was canceled. I know. <laughs> agree. Hard agree. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this has been our ACE episode. Thank you all so much for being on. Thank you for having us. (laughs) Woo! (laughs) Um, Yeah, next time you see something, it could be ACE. Could be. Could Could be. be. (laughs) She kissed me in a way that I've never been kissed before.